1: Welcome to On The Way from the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship from the Archdiocese of Chicago. I am Beth White, your co-host this morning, and I have with me Jen DelVoe, our other co-host. Hi, Jen.
2: Hi, good morning.
1: Good morning. So Jen and I are in studio together without masks. We're fully vaccinated, and as we know in the state of Illinois now, things were allowed to be in the same room together, so we're very grateful to be here with you. We are been we have been focusing on these last couple months on what it means to have a culture of evangelization, and we t- gave an overview of that a few months ago. Last month, we talked about a culture of evangelization being very hospitable. Today, we're going to talk about listening and the importance of listening, listening to the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is talking to you as a person, as a community, and about how we are listening to our churches, the people within, and then the community in which our parish Reside so that we can listen to what the needs are. And so today we decided to take two demographics and focus in. So first up, we're gonna talk about y- our youth today, this Generation Z that we don't know much about. And then later in the show, we're gonna talk about women in the church, Catholic women. And so, first up, we have Dr. Josh Packard from Springtide Research Institute. And Joshua has spent his Josh has spent his life, um, his adult life, really doing research and Sociology of religion. So, welcome, Josh.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Excellent. Thanks for being here. So, I'm going to turn it over to Jen, who, as many of you know, has been a, was a youth minister in her previous life, and I've asked her to sort of lead this uh, conversation. Go ahead, Jen.
2: Thanks, Beth. I'm excited to talk with you, Josh, about this because, as Beth said, uh, paying attention to youth is something that I've been doing pretty much since day one professionally. And I think a good place to start with this conversation is to find out who exactly is Gen Z. You know, We use these generational labels so often, but I think a lot of people don't follow perhaps the research as closely as some of us do. So could you tell us a little bit about who Gen Z is?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, so at Springtime Research Institute, we focus all of our work on 13 to 25 year olds, and that's about roughly what encapsulates Gen Z at this point. I mean, there, you know, these labels are always a little bit fuzzy around the edges at the upper and lower ends. But for the most part, that's that's roughly the kind of the age range that we're that we're thinking about here,
2: you know. In my youth ministry days, as Beth said many moons ago, I always heard people say that, you know, the youth are the ones that we really need to reach out to. We've got to be so worried about them. And everyone had ideas, you know, whether it was we're going to be uh, offering that which would have reached them when they were uh, your average youth, but also this idea of hyper-relevancy and so forth. But one of the things I always appreciate is what, going to the research and really listening to the research, and why, particularly when people come with those other presumptions, why is it so lis- important to listen to what the research actually tells us about Generation Z?
0: Well, I, I think it is critical that we, that we listen to young people. Um, I mean, that's, that's really at the heart of, of our work, and, but, I, but I think it's important that we listen and understand what they're saying in the context of their lives. You know, so on the one hand, we certainly want to honor and respect and hear those truths um that young people are are willing to share with us but at the same time, we need to understand that they're coming from fourteen, fifteen sixteen you know year olds and I think we the, if if there's like a big sort of fault i think that we take as adults when we look at the data about young people is is that we tend to do which i think it's understandable, but it's just not the right thing is that we we tend to think that They're sort of static. So we get this snapshot Mm -hmm. picture of young people. And and while we understand, at I think a very real lived level from Mm -hmm. our own experiences as young people, that that the basic, like the the hallmark characteristic of being young is about being in flux. Everything Mm -hmm. is changing all the time. You're constantly exploring. You're trying to figure things out. You're navigating new spaces. For some reason, when we see a data point, we get really taken – we we sort of get taken away by thinking, like, that's what they are. Mm, Um, And and I think we do this even more so with their religious lives, where it's like they either are or are not religious. You either have or haven't been confirmed, Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, you've been through the sacraments, you haven't been raised in the church, you don't, you attend or you don't. But the reality is far more complex. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we we need to start taking that same sort of nuance – to that, you know, that we, we understand that who a young person is dating at 16 is probably not who they're going to be dating <laughs> at 18 or maybe even 16 and a half. Um, you know, was they going to college wanting to major in if they're going to college? or yeah. not probably what they're going to graduate with uh, in terms of their degree. Uh, we need to take that same sort of mm-hmm. understanding um, and apply it to their faith lives. And when we do that, and that's a large part of how we try and position the data at springtime, because when we do that, I think it lends itself to that Catholic model of accompaniment, where it's like, okay, this is where you are right now. I want to understand everything about why you're you know, in this position, why you're asking those questions, why you have these thoughts, and uh, I want to check in with you in a week, and a month, and six months, in a year, and I want to be part of this conversation with you for the long haul, and not just assume that it's over because a young right. person is particularly convicted about any particular stance <laughs> at any particular time.
2: Definitely. I know just from the experience, I was in youth ministry for about 12 years and I've been away from it now for six, seven years, something like that. And just seeing the differences in, you know, first some of the pieces out of the National Study for Youth and Religion, now seeing your information, that there are such differences just in that relatively short span of time. In the process of your research and in listening to the youth, what were some of the particular findings that you got into that you think might be helpful for our listeners to hear
0: well i think the number one thing uh, there's a couple of things to understand that are that are really important so in the state of religion and young people 2020 we uh we dug into this I- issue of affiliation i mean this is the number that everybody's sort of you know really mm-hmm. on red alert about which is the the nuns O N E S. Um, and, and the, the high percentage of young people who don't affiliate or identify with a particular religion. Now, this, of course, is not new to Gen Z, this is just a continuation of a trend that's been going on now for 25 years, really, in earnest. Um, their number, you know, with each successive generation, it just gets a little bit higher. What we were able to uncover, though, really importantly, is that um, for a long time, we've been using that, those markers of affiliated or unaffiliated really as proxies. Mm-hmm. Um, help us then assume a lot of things about that person. So if they're affiliated, we we feel like we can reasonably assume something um, based on that identity about, you know, do they read sacred texts? Do they engage in rituals like prayer? Mm-hmm. Do they attend, etc. Uh, do they believe in God? And if they're unaffiliated, similarly we feel like we can assume a lot of things reasonably about those people. And that's just not true for young people anymore. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a bigger, mm-hmm. uh, not, more, not bigger in terms of importance, but bigger in terms of broader story going on about institutional disengagement. Mm-hmm. That means that we're seeing a, as much diversity within those categories of affiliated and unaffiliated as we see between them. So unaffiliated okay. people telling us that they're spiritual, affiliated people telling us that they have no trust in organized religion, both of them reading mm-hmm. sacred texts. I mean, it's just a much messier landscape. Uh, for Gen Z than right. I think it has been for, for previous generations because this is all being filtered through this overarching lens of not wanting to be seen as being a part of any institution because there's a lack of trust for all of them. It. So it's not just religion, mm-hmm. but it's also you know, companies that they work for or, or that they might want to be you know, seen with, and it's nonprofits, and it's the government, and it's school. I mean, mistrust you know, is everywhere. And so I think that's a that's a big thing to understand. Just because somebody is not in your pews, in other words, doesn't mean that they're not open to the conversation that you might be interested in having with them.
2: I think that's really helpful because, you know, it, we do want to, I think, oversimplify things just to wrap our heads around it. And especially for people who may not uh, be hands-on working with these youth, you know, are Uh, parents sometimes have assumptions based off of just their particular child or children and so this is such a a great window into this and I, I think it's fascinating that so much emphasis is put into you know really digging in and listening to what the youth have to say about this and what I am curious is that, you know, you go into then starting to talk about the impact of what happens when these youth have adults who listen and that they're in relationship with. Could you share a little bit about what you found in regards to that adult-youth relationship?
0: Yeah. Well, so for a long time, you know, I think it was really effective for us to, when, when institutional trust was high. It made sense for us then to lean into those institutional bonds, mm-hmm. and, and we would sort of, you know, we would lead with our expertise, for lack of, you know, to, to sort of sum it all up, whether it's our degree and credential or our position or our title or even how long we've been around in this, in this role, this place. Um, and, and, that, and that was often effective, you know, enough to compel a young person or really anybody to listen to us, um, take mm-hmm. us seriously maybe even follow whatever advice we were giving or whatever teachings we were, we were trying to impart. Um, but I think that's where the big shift has been made. Expertise still matters, but it's not enough all by itself. We, we have to couple expertise with these other dimensions of what we call relational authority, which are listening, integrity, transparency, and care, along with expertise if what you really want to do is gain sort of long-term impact in the life of a young person. If you just do expertise without those other four things, um, what young people told us is that they see you as representing the interests of the institution, mm-hmm. not having their best interests in mind. And again, they do not see the institution's interests mm-hmm. and their interests as being uh, sort of naturally aligned. They're, that is where the, the burden of proof falls on the institution to prove that difference, because they're skeptical of that alignment from the beginning.
2: I think that can be perhaps really challenging for so many people who have the best interests for the youth at hand and that are coming from a place of deep and abiding faith and want to share that with others. That we can sometimes think that our trust and our love for the institution carries over. So, um, the Next kind of feel I'd love to go into a little bit more is that idea of uh, that relational authority that you spoke about, and I know that that was something that was a really fascinating piece because it does dig into, you know, how do the youth actually feel like they're being listened to? Because I think that was one of the distinctions in it that really struck me. So I would love to dive into a little bit more of that and hear what some of those details were. But we're going to take a short break and return. Our veterans have served our country, and it is our privilege to serve them. To learn more about Catholic Charities Veterans Services and the Veterans Computer Project, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219.
3: The Word Made Clear is exactly what its name implies. It's an easy-to-understand explanation of the Word of God, the Gospel. Hello. Hello. I'm Father James McElhone, Director of Biblical Formation for the Archdiocese of Chicago. I'd like to invite you to take our free online Bible study program by going to thewordmadeclear.org. Our website offers an audio-based guide to the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. Listen to my lectures and follow along with the handouts provided. There are even discussion guides. You can also explore the biblical roots of the Mass. And there are links to a wide variety of biblical sources that will benefit both teachers and students of the sacred scriptures. Just go to wordmadeclear.org to experience our free online Bible study program. Again, it's free at wordmadeclear.org. It's the word of God. Enjoy.
4: Caring adults make all the difference in the lives of adolescents. Catholic Charities understands this and our mentorship program provides a free opportunity for youth living in Lake County to spend time, virtually, with volunteers who genuinely care about them. This program is ideal for youths aged 9 to 12 who may need support navigating the challenges of childhood and early adolescence. Our amazing volunteers serve as friends and role models who help youth recognize their strengths and empower them to reach their full potential. Catholic Charities conducts a thorough background check on every volunteer, and our program coordinator closely monitors and supports each relationship. Mentoring is a fun after-school program that is totally different from remote learning. Virtual group sessions help youth enjoy fun activities with their peers, too. We're connecting youth with great role models. Join us today. To learn more, call 312-937-3375. That's 312 312- 937 Nine three seven three three seven five.
1: Welcome back to On The Way. I'm Beth White, one of your co-hosts this morning with Jen Delvaux, and this is from the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Josh Packard from
2: Springtide Research. Go ahead, Jen. Thanks. You know, one of the, I think, more terrifying numbers uh, that I ran across when I was reading some of your research is that there is 69% of our generation z youth have fewer than 3 or less meaningful conversations a day and that feel they have no one to talk to and no one who knows them well. And, you know, when I think back to my youth ministry days and I had those adult uh, volunteers, you know, if I would have read that at that point, I think that probably would have been even more heartbreaking than it is now. And I would have, you know, instantly started wondering what I was doing wrong. How can I do things better? But what happens when we start to work towards solving that? What impact did you start to see when, Youth felt they had adults who were listening to them and walking with them.
0: Yeah, it makes a huge impact. Um, I mean, it's it's almost hard to overstate the the uh, how important those relationships are. I mean, I'll, I'll toss out one more, which is about a third of young people have one or fewer uh, adult in their life they could turn to if they needed to talk, and mm-hmm. that includes their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and the magic number for, you know, that we would really be trying to get to is five. I mean, it's not an unattainable number, but if we can get young people connected to five adults in their lives that they feel like they can turn to, then uh, they're far better off. Now, what, what we mean by far better off is like there, there's a whole host of um, sort of risk factor things that go down. So their stress levels go down, their feelings of isolation and loneliness go down, um, their it, you know, interest in and, and engagement in destructive behaviors goes down, but also mm-hmm. there's a bunch of pro-social behaviors that we see going up. So we see, uh, you know, higher graduation rates when we see a greater sense of belonging in community. We see uh, less substance abuse, fewer unwanted mm-hmm. pregnancies, etc. And it, it's really hard to, um, to overstate the importance of those things, not just for, you know, the general health and humanity of young people, which I think we all care about, but also when it comes to their spiritual lives. So it's, you know, we've all seen it with young people that you can sort of make these, you know, often make these sort of um, really intense short-term gains because, you know, as young people get excited about things, as mm-hmm. they do, um, they, they'll, they'll make commitments that are often hard to sustain. Um, they'll start new practices that, that fall, fall away. Um And we know though that it's it's ultimately for the long haul for for a really durable sense of faith it's belonging that that needs to come before believing Mm -hmm. because it's the community that will draw you back to those things um of course again a young person's life is all about change and exploration but and that's going to happen you're never going to you shouldn't even be trying to stop that you should just try and you you should try and be there with them for those moments Mm -hmm. Um, but if what we're hoping to impart uh, to young people is a sense of ongoing commitment then It's the community that's going to help guide those things. So we really shouldn't be putting the cart before the horse and thinking like, hey, I need to explain everything here, you know, uh, I need to catechize you, to use a Catholic term, and then, you know, we can be like, all right, we're done with that and move Mm -hmm. on to the next thing. We really have to be building that sense of community around that at the same time, and that starts with, you know, for a lot of young people, it starts with connecting them in the places where they're not currently connected, and that's often with adults who care about them.
1: Josh, I'm gonna, um, I just want to ask quickly. Uh, the instinct a lot of times that we hear is, uh, let's just get a really great youth ministry going. Let's get, you know, like all the kids together. Tell us, and I think you're alluding to it, but I want to be very explicit about this. What is the importance of intergenerational community for young people?
4: Well, I,
0: their peers are important, yep. and when and we talk about youth ministry, though, I think we need to be rethinking a little bit about what we think of as, as youth ministry. So, look, in a world where there's high levels of institutional trust and there's a willingness to sort of generally accept that institutions have your best interest in mind, I think those really the, those, those program-driven youth ministry models that we saw flourishing you know, in the 80s and 90s um, when I was growing up uh, well, you know, those are really effective. <laughs> I don't think they're, I don't think they were like, you know, ill-formed or a bad no. idea, but, but you know, when the world changes, we need to change mm-hmm. our, our methods with it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It doesn't mean we change our core beliefs. Young people were very clear in the data that they're not asking you to compromise on those. Um, but I do think we have to change some of our methods. I mean, look, like, you know, Blockbuster was one of the greatest things on Earth when I was a kid. You could go and <laughs> rent any movie you wanted just by taking a short drive. But now, like, that is antiquated and irrelevant, and, and we, we don't deliver movies in the same way to people, even though they're just as interested in movies as they yeah. ever were, in fact, maybe more so. Um, and I think it's the same thing here. Like, it, it's not – it wasn't a – those program-driven things weren't bad. They're just not as effective now in this current context as, as they once were. And so we really need to be innovating and digging into relationships as the model, you know, for engaging with young people moving forward. And, and that's, uh, that's going to be hard to do because, look, uh, I, I haven't met a single religious leader, youth minister, campus pastor, whatever, who isn't working hard enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they all care. They're all working really hard. Asking somebody to, to sort of do relational ministry that we, that I think the data are very clear about saying is so necessary is going to require giving up something. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think we can just do this on top of the things that we're already doing because who's got the time for that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who's got the energy for that? Who's got the other, mm-hmm. the money for that, frankly? Um, so it, it is going to t- require, you know, a bit of a shift in the way that we're doing things if, if you take these data really seriously and, and if, you know, if, if you dig into, You know both the you know a little bit about we've got belonging and the state of religion young people and some other things i think really speak to this very clearly that these relationships are the thing that are going to sustain young people and it's Mm going to be you know they're going to find those relationships to guide them one way or another but that is going to be their source of guidance whether that's with you or with somebody else
2: i think one of the things that really struck me was that number five as the number that was sort of that tipping point and you know the reality is, particularly if you're in you know one of those large suburban parishes, the sheer ratio of the youth minister or even the youth minister and their team to all those youth in the parish right there, basic math is gonna tell you that you can't rely on just that group, that this all of a sudden really does become the entire community's responsibility. And I think one of the things that we really focus on is creating that entire culture of evangelization. You've touched a lot on that need for belonging, And that, you know, we say we need to form all of the adults in the community to be those missionary disciples. And when I look at this research and I look at what we're trying to do for the adults, I see hope because there is hope hopefully, that opportunity to have more of these adults who then can have that conversation when they do see that youth showing up at mass, or maybe they see, you know, standing in line at the local coffee shop or, you know, their neighbor, that all of a sudden the number of potential adults becomes exponentially larger to reach the youth in the broader community. But I think that can be intimidating because you think I have to have all of the answers or I have to be the perfect Catholic or these are the things I have to be, you know, the number of uh, things on that list that I heard from people who I would try to recruit for helping out with youth ministry would always astound me. But when you dove into what the youth were actually looking for from those adults, what were some of the things that the research showed you as you listened to what the Gen Z had to say?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, let me just sort of de-intimidate that a little bit, (laughs) if I can. So the magic number is five um, for young people, but we see gains at every step. So, you know, Mm -hmm. two is better than one, three is better than two. and there's nobody suggesting that like your parish or your church has to be the right. answer for all mm-hmm. five of those connections. I mean, even if we can just get one or two in your congregation to add to the other connections that young people likely have, then, you know, we're making really good progress there. Um, the, additionally, to, you know, to get to your question, um, about like, you know, what is, you know, what are young people looking for from those relationships with adults? Well, I, in, in short, they're not looking for perfection. And, in fact, the, the, mm-hmm. they're skeptical of perfection. So, you know, when we talk about those dimensions of listening, integrity, transparency, and care, what, you know, what they're really looking for in, in those four elements is, uh, you know, an adult who's willing to take them seriously, to listen to them, not to condone everything that they're doing. They're not mm-hmm. looking, you know, they know when they've done wrong. Generally, they know what they should be doing. So, that, you know, I think as adults we often get, you um, to sit and listen to a young person as they tell us about all the really, you know, poor decisions they're making. Mm-hmm. In many cases, I was a professor for a long time and I would have students sit around my, you know, in, in my office across the desk from me and they would tell me, you know, what they were thinking about. And I just so wanted to jump in and be like, don't do that. Like, that's a really bad idea. Uh, you know, don't, don't, don't date that person. Or like, you need to get out of that job. that that important. But Uh, they already knew those things. They didn't need me to tell them those things. And, in fact, they weren't going to listen to me tell -hmm. tell them those things until they felt like I had listened to their full story. Mm. And and that is just a – I know how hard it is to sit there and not say something. And especially in a religious context where we often feel like not stepping in might give the impression that we're okay with everything that they're doing. But young people were clear. Like, they do not see that as permission-giving. It, it, this is more mm-hmm. like, uh, it's almost like a litmus test of like, are you willing, you know, are, are you willing to understand me? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to understand mm-hmm. how I made these decisions? And are you willing to dig in? And I think one of the, you know, you can see this, uh, one young person told us in our podcast, The Voices of Young People, they said, look, the dominant experience of young people when it comes to adults is of being dismissed, you know, mm-hmm. we're just disregarded. And, and you see that when you ask a young person a question. About their lives. So the question for me as a professor was always, you know, what do you want to do when you graduate? And and you get this very perfunctory response. Mm-hmm. And and it often takes like two or sometimes three follow-up questions. You know, tell me more about that. Why are you interested in that? You know, have you thought about other things? And mm-hmm. and if so what were they? Um, before they begin to realize that you're serious, you are mm-hmm. you are actually interested in them because you know. When they think you don't care, the goal is just to get out of that conversation as quickly as right. possible. I think you're just doing your job or being polite or something like that. But when they find out that you do care and that you're, you're, you're listening attentively, um, you know, and in many cases for me, it was even taking notes, asking questions about previous conversations, following up mm-hmm. on those things, um, you get a whole different kind of relationship. They review all kinds of different things. And it, it opens up the door for us to then bring our expertise, whether that's, You know, knowledge that we gain from a degree that we have or whether it's lived experience expertise or if it's an insight that we have because we've worked in an organization for a particular period of time, then we start to see those pathways open up where that expertise can come in. But if we just come and front load the expertise part without doing, you know, the care part, the integrity part, the transparency part, it's just not going to be heard.
1: Thank you so much, Josh. Could you share with us a little bit about where our listeners could get some information, some of the research that you shared? We'll, we'll include some links, but if someone's just listening in their car right now, where is somewhere they can go to learn more about your research?
0: Absolutely. So uh, we're at springtideresearch.org. Um, you can find the State of Religion, which we do every fall. Um, the first one came out last year. It's State of Religion and Young People 2020 about relational authority. And there's even... Um, Thanks to a generous Family Foundation gift that is free in digital form, and even a special Catholic edition of that report that that just breaks out the Catholic data that you can also find on our website.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And I will tell you that I really have leaned into Mm -hmm. the young people in my life based on your research and really listened to them and had conversations. No, really, my niece and others. So thank you so much for your time this morning, Josh.
0: Thank you.
3: Can't blind me. A dead man come back
4: to life. the cemetery